Hello, and thank you for joining us for Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, Season 3, Episode 9, The Widow. If this is your first time listening to Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, you might want to go back and start at Season 1, Episode 1, The Egg, so that you can get the full story. My name is Marin Langdon Spillane, and today we are thrilled to welcome special guest artist Davia Morris. Please check the show notes for links to Davia's amazing artwork and coloring page. We love to see things you've created that are inspired by Fadpack. We've seen costumes and Lego creatures, clay sculptures, and stuffed animal impersonators, as well as many, many gorgeous drawings and paintings. So we encourage all of you listeners to create anything that you're inspired to while listening. Then, if you'd like, you can share your creation with us on our Facebook page or email it to us at PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. And now, let us begin Season 3, Episode 9 of Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, The Widow. Previously on Fadpack, Talora, Petra, Asriel, Amethyst, Citrine, and Bob arrived in the city of Tremaine, where Asriel and Petra were captured and trained by the king's animal trainer, Vera. Bob created a distraction that involved the help of the giant fuchsia warthog tribe, and Asriel and Petra were able to escape. They, along with Bob and Amethyst, headed to Shakatala's mountain to see what they could learn about Shakatala's connection to Tremaine. Talora and Citrine, meanwhile, planned to return to Durga with Knight Ozar, so that Talora can continue her search for Florian. And I mean, like, one of the major drawbacks of using a natural fabric, especially something like this hand-woven grass doormat that I crafted last week, is that it can seriously degrade over time. I think for something like a doormat, we're really looking for a more durable substance, you know what I mean? Gosh, I am not sure what I was thinking with this grass concept. This probably has to go. Citrine popped their head out of the front pocket of Talora's pack, brandishing a small grass mat. And I mean, I know that Amethyst loved these garnet encrusted end tables. Of course, who wouldn't, right? But I'm just not sure that they're the best use of space in this instance. I mean, I guess I could keep one of them. But even then, we're fighting for space with the rose quartz coffee table, and the last thing I want in my fairy bungalow is clutter. And energetically speaking, I don't even know if the garnets and the rose quartz are in agreement, you know? Ugh, you are right, Talora. I am so glad we're taking this quiet moment to get ready for the next phase of this quest. This is like really hard and stressful. How is your packing going? Talora and Citrine were back in the castle tower of Tremaine, getting packed up and organized for the journey back to Durga, a task Citrine was taking most seriously. Talora sat on the edge of her bed, looking at all of the things she'd pulled out of her pack and assembled across the bed's surface. She hadn't unloaded her pack completely since she'd left Durga only a few months ago, and now... She was going back. It was somewhat surreal. She could remember packing this bag so clearly the day after the Dragon Games. She had been so excited with no idea what was in store for her, how long she'd be gone. Nothing had gone the way she'd imagined it would. The person who had packed this bag before was a completely different person from who Talora was today. How had so much changed so quickly? Oh no, I broke you. Your tiny mind can't handle so many complex visualizations all at once. I am so sorry, Talora. Take your time. Talora snapped back to the present and remembered Citrine's question. Uh, packing's going fine. I don't really have that much stuff. Okay, um, what's that? 
soap. And what's that? Some ointment for cuts and bruises. Ew. And what's that? Rope. Right. I've heard of that. Not just any rope, though. Captain Lee gave it to me before I left Durga. It's really strong. It it saved Beatrice's life, actually. That was before we met you, though. Yuck. Are you going down memory lane? <laughs> Sorry. And what's that ball of grossness? Do you use it to staunch bleeding if you become severely injured? Oh, no. That's Bert. He's my stuffed sea lion. <gasps> Talora? Why would you stuff a tiny baby sea lion like that? I thought you were like loving and respectful of all the creatures. It's not a real sea lion, Citrine. It's a toy. I've had it since I was little. It was one of the only things I brought with me when I left home to become a knight. I was only seven then, and I liked to sleep with bird at night. It smells weird. Talora raised the small stuffed animal to her face and inhaled. She closed her eyes. Bird smelled like he always had, ever since she could remember. She'd forgotten he was in her pack, and in this moment she felt glad for the reassuring softness of him against her cheek. He smells just right to me. I think he makes me feel safe. You know, it feels weird to be going back to Durga. Wrong somehow. I'm not sure if I belong there anymore. But if I don't belong there, where do I belong? I don't know. Maybe I'm just nervous about going back because I've changed so much since I left. And in a way, I guess it's silly, but Bird is like a constant, you know? He belonged to me when I was little, before I left for Durga. He lived with me during all my years of night training, and he's been with me on this quest. It just makes me think, to Laura, I am going to stop you right there. Citrine's eyes had been growing wider and wider as they listened to Talora's speech. I think maybe for a minute there you forgot that you were talking to a fairy and not like another human or dragon or pony or someone. You are really confusing me and your interpersonal reflections are giving me a headache. Citrine dropped into the pocket of Talora's pack and resurfaced a moment later with a small eye mask over their face. Okay, now I'm ready. Carry on. Are you going to sleep? Asked Alora. No, no. I'm listening to you and meditating on your words while I rest on my dandelion fluff down mattress. Please continue. As Citrine spoke, they disappeared back into the pocket of Talora's pack. Don't worry, I can hear you perfectly from in here. And if I don't respond right away or at all, it's because I am reflecting on the deep profundity of your words. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Talora heaved a sigh. She was going to have to get used to her only traveling companion being a fairy. She glanced over the rest of her belongings, tucked Bert onto her lap, and began folding and stacking things neatly so that she could repack everything after Citrine was done resting. Her eyes fell on her field manual, Knight Uba's field manual, the journal he had given her the day she left Durga with the dragons. She pulled it onto her lap, rested it on top of Bert, and began to turn the pages. A ranger's field manual was their prized possession— it was so much more than a journal. It was a place to record their learning, their ideas, their interactions out in the world. Because every ranger had such a unique and often solitary path, the knights of the greenhouse prided themselves on their field manuals. When green knights returned from journeys, they would share all that they had learned and recorded. Plants that were safe to eat, places to find shelter, customs and traditions of different people or creatures. And because Uba had been in the green for so many years, his manual was thick and dense, packed with pages and pages of notations, illustrations, and long-written passages. Delora still couldn't believe that he'd given it to her. While she, of course, planned to return it when her quest was over, she wondered if Uba missed it. Had he started another? With a jolt, she remembered that Uba was no longer in Durga. Technically, he was no longer a knight. He had been banished. She hoped he was all right wherever he was, and that his missing field manual wasn't costing him too much. 
She began to idly flip through the pages, something she had done many times before. Uba's journal had proven useful a handful of times on her quest so far, but she still didn't understand why he had entrusted her with it. She skimmed over a page detailing several different types of poisonous plants, examined a hastily scrawled map of the mountains to the west of Durga, and smiled at a rather humorous recounting of Uba's first time meeting a hippogriff. Then she turned a page and found herself staring at something she hadn't come across before. It was one page completely filled, edge to edge, in an illustration. Unlike the other drawings in the journal that seemed made for function and for record-keeping, this one seemed more artistic. It was a swirl of designs and patterns without a clear or recognizable shape. It was done in a variety of ink colors, and the more Talora stared at it, the more entranced she became, almost as if the drawing was pulling her into it. Suddenly, something in the middle of the page became clear. As if swimming up from the depths of this complex drawing, Talora saw two words emerge. Trust love. Trust love? What did that mean? And why was it here, in the middle of Uba's field manual? Of course a ranger's field manual was personal, but not usually sentimental or whimsical. What place did a message like this have here? What could Uba have been feeling when he wrote it? What experiences had led him to deem this an important addition to his records? The amount of detail in the drawing suggested he had spent a great deal of time on this page, perhaps returning again and again to add to it. The longer Talor stared, the more she wondered. The words, now the clearest part of the picture to her, seemed to burn themselves into her eyes. Trust, love. Trust, love. Suddenly, the door to her room banged open and Ozar strode in. Good morning, Talora. How are you getting along here? Almost ready to leave? Talora shut Uba's journal hastily and jumped to her feet. Good morning, Knight Ozar. Yes, I am ready. Just packing up here. Excellent. Excellent. So polite, all of a sudden, Talora. Isn't that nice? And suddenly so agreeable about returning to Durga. Talora met Ozar's gaze and tried not to show any signs of the nervousness as she lied smoothly. I have been thinking about what you said, and as much as I don't want to leave my quest or the dragons, Durga is my home, and becoming a knight is the most important thing to me. I can't risk losing that. From the front pocket of her pack came a loud scoffing sound, and Talora coughed hastily to cover it up. Ozar regarded Talora for a moment, a small smile playing across his face. Indeed, I see. Well, I'm glad to see you've reconsidered, and just in time, too, since we leave today. Ozar crossed the room and sat down in a chair by the window. Talora, I have assured the King of Tremaine that you had nothing to do with the disturbance in the city streets last night. Talora tried to look as innocent as possible. I didn't, of course. Ozar nodded. Of course. And I also assured him that you had nothing to do with the escape of his two brand new dragon pets. Two dragons who also happened to be some of your closest friends. Talora smiled, though inside she was squirming uncomfortably. Thank you. You are welcome, I'm sure. It is remarkable, though, what happened, is it not? Um, is it? Well, just that a tribe of giant fuchsia warthogs, extremely elusive and mysterious beasts who loathe and avoid humans at all costs, suddenly took it upon themselves to enter the city and run amok. In all this, at the same time your dragons were escaping, it was almost as if someone was causing a diversion. Talora nodded. Hmm, she said through tightly pinched lips. For some reason, she was having the urge to laugh. 
And yet, as I told the king, you could not have anything to do with this confusion because you were locked securely in your room the entire time. Why, one of my knights turned the key herself. Yes, Talora managed to choke out. Yes, Ozar looked at Talora for a long moment. Yes, well, couldn't be clearer. You are innocent, and the dragons are gone. I wouldn't be them, though, not for a cauldron full of gold. Talora looked at Ozar in alarm. What do you mean? Well, you heard what happened, didn't you? They viciously attacked Vera, almost killed her and all of her guards, destroyed the king's property, all unprovoked. Talora opened her mouth to say something. She couldn't help it, but Ozar raised his hand. This is how Vera is telling it, anyway. She's stirring up more resentment. People are already primed to fear dragons right now. It's not hard. She's vowed to find them, hunt them down, if it's the last thing she does. Talora looked down at her hands, swallowing hard. She was afraid to say anything that might give her away, but Ozar's words chilled her. She had sent Petra and Azriel off alone. Would they be able to stay safe from Vera without her? Ah, there it is. There what is? asked Talora. Your concern for the dragons. They escaped, and you never got to say goodbye. Yet here you are, right as rain. Until I mentioned Vera hunting them. You are good at many things, Talora Shamsa, but lying is not one of them. Good to know. Well, enough about dragons. Someone will be along shortly to collect you. We head out in an hour's time. We should be back to Durga within the week. Ozar stood, looked again at Talora for a long moment, and then left the room. As soon as the door shut behind him, Talora sank onto the bed, reached for Bert, and clutched him to her chest. Citrine's head popped out from the pack. They're not alone, Talora. They have Amethyst. And they have Bob. Talora looked in surprise at the fairy. Did you just read my mind? Citrine looked aghast. Ew, no, no. That would be terrifying. I am just highly intuitive. And look, I've traveled with you for like a while now, and you're not exactly hard to read. Emotions all over your face, like travel dirt. Which, by the way, I guess you're never going to wash off. Bold choice. Talora managed a small smile, even though she was feeling a little sick to her stomach with worry for the dragons. Can you tell Amethyst what Ozar said so they have some warning? Citrine fluttered out of the pack and landed on Talora's knee. I will for sure do that, but I need to finish packing first since Mr. Angryface says we only have one hour and there is just so much to do. Talora nodded. Citrine looked up at her for a moment, then at Bert, who rested on Talora's lap. Citrine reached out a small hand and poked Bert experimentally on one of his tusks. Hey parents! Yeah, you! Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. I guess he doesn't smell that bad after all, they said thoughtfully. Talora raised the sea lion to her face and inhaled deeply. She was thinking of home. Azrael, Petra, Bob, and Amethyst had taken flight the moment they left Talora and Citrine in the woods the night before. It had been dark, and they hadn't known which way to go, but they knew they needed to get as far away from Tremaine as possible. 
Now, as the sun was just beginning to come up, the world was awash in dim blue and gray shadows. The dark outlines of trees and mountains were starting to emerge against the lighter backdrop of the sky. Asriel looked back the way they had come. No sign of Tremaine. They had been flying all night to get away from the city, the surrounding towns, villages, and roads. He scanned the landscape for any thin streams of smoke that would indicate a human house or campfire. Nothing. So far, so good. Hey, he called out to Petra. Do you know where we're going? What? She yelled back at him. What do you mean do I know where we're going? I'm following you. Oh, wh- why Why are you following me? I have no idea where we are. Because you were all like, bye to Laura, and then you just jumped into the air and started flying, so I figured you knew where you were going. I was just trying to get away from Tremaine. I've never been here before. How would I know where Shakatala's mountain is? I don't know, maybe because you had that whole cozy father-son bonding playdate and his creepy lair full of pony bones, and he was probably all like, Listen, my boy, if you ever want to go to my awesome mountain, this is where to find it. Now here's a fancy jewel, don't tell your mom. That is not what happened, Petra. Then where are we going? I don't know. Oh, my garnets. I can hear you shouting through all six inches of this cozy, cozy pony fluff, which is saying something. I have never felt so safe, secure, sheltered, and shielded from the harsh noise of this world as I have this blissful evening. Oh, Bubbles, I will never not sleep with a pony again. Ah, hmm. Yes, thank you, dear Amethyst. I am very pleased to have provided some comfort to you. Your wings are a bit pokier than I imagined, and you do change your position quite often and rather aggressively. But yes, I too did find some relief from being awake. I am so happy that you both slept so well, but Asriel and I have been up all night flying, it turns out, into the middle of nowhere. Why would you do that? I thought we were going to your dad's mountain. Well, we are, but we don't know where it is. But I'm confused because you are flying to his mountain. No, we're not. We're just flying to Shakatala's mountain. No, Amethyst, it's my fault. I was just trying to get us as far away from Tremaine as possible. I don't know where we're going. We're just flying to Shakatala's mountain. Well, yeah, eventually, but first we have to figure out where it is. Oh, I know where it is. Oh, that's great. Can you tell us? Yes, you are flying to it. Amethyst, please, this is not the time for cryptic fairy riddles. If you know where it is, can you please just tell us? Ew, I don't do riddles. I tell jokes that not everyone is sophisticated enough to understand. But anyway, this is not a riddle or a joke. Although it is very funny. What is so funny? Okay, I will say this slowly. I know that dragons get confused. You are flying to Shakatala's mountain already. It is right there. Amethyst pointed to the largest mountain in a range of mountains about 20 miles away. They were headed straight for it. How do you know that Shakatala's mountain? Because, Azriel, I am the Diamond Wing. I know all of the things all of the time jokes um okay your dad's kind of famous you know everyone knows where his mountain is except you apparently awkward but you did figure it out by accident so that's kind of neat wow okay so that's shakatala's mountain that's our that's our dad's mountain oh are you ready petra no yes i don't know i was born ready let's just get there Petra wasn't exactly sure how to feel, or what she felt. She was exhausted. They had been flying all night. 
and the whole time she'd been replaying the events from yesterday in her head over and over and over again, the rage she'd felt, the fear, the moment the crossbows had released their bolts and she hadn't known what was going to happen next, her relief and amazement, the power she had felt, Vera, Vera's look of terror as Petra had towered over her, the hatred on her face as she ran away. Had Petra been wrong to do what she did? Had she been right? She was both proud and ashamed of herself. Ugh, this was all so confusing. Then Talora. Talora made Petra feel better, like what she had done was okay. They were a good team. Petra missed Talora already. And now this mountain and all the Shakatala business. They were risking their lives to help him, to help Shakatala, their dad, who they had never known existed and who Petra had never seen until they battled him in the Shazboro grasslands. This was a dragon who had terrorized the ponies and was now starting a war with the humans. Azrael was convinced that he needed saving, that he was misunderstood and was only acting this way because his fire, his soul, belonged to Hemlock, the longest branch of the Arbor Fairies. But Petra wasn't so sure wasn't like Hemlock stole his fire, it was a trade. Shakatala exchanged his fire for some shiny armor to feel more powerful. To be honest, Petra wasn't sure if she even cared what happened to Shakatala one way or the other. Although she did want to do what they could to restore him to himself so he would stop attacking humans and being generally evil. But she knew that for Azrael, it was more than that. And he was probably right. Petra trusted him. He had the biggest heart of anyone she had ever known. And of course, Petra would never let on to Azrael, but she wasn't doing any of this to help Shakatala, not really. She was doing it to help Azrael, because he was her brother, her egg twin. And if saving Shakatala was this important to him, then it was important to Petra too. They were coming up on the mountain now. The sun was higher up, so they could see clearly for miles in every direction. Azrael, get low! There's a human road! Petra could make out a faint, snake-like trail running through the forest, coming down from the mountain. She and Azrael drifted lower until they were just barely above the tops of the trees. Petra was scanning the road for any sign of movement, any sign of humans. She didn't see anything. I don't get it. Why would there be a road here? asked Azrael. I can't imagine Chagatala was very welcoming to humans. I don't know, Petra responded, but she had begun to notice other oddities as well. The mountain didn't look like she expected, or rather, it didn't feel like she expected it to. A dragon's mountain was sort of, well, perfect. Everything was in perfect harmony. The trees, the ground creatures, the sky creatures, even the water creatures. The dragons took care of everything, of everyone. They kept the balance. Dragon's mountains not only looked orderly and peaceful, they felt that way too. Forests without dragons just seemed more wild. Still vibrant, just more chaotic. This forest, this mountain, didn't feel peaceful or chaotic. It just felt... quiet. They kept flying toward the top of the mountain, climbing higher in slow circles so that they could see it from all angles. They were looking for the heart of the mountain. This is where they would find Shakatala's lair. The heart of the mountain might be near the top, but it might not. It was wherever the dragon who claimed the mountain could feel the mountain's resonance, its rhythms, where they could tap into the deep veins of minerals, metals, and gems that the mountain contained. Once the heart was discovered, the dragon would dig through the mountain shell to create their lair. A dragon's armor, claws, and horns were made for digging and breaking through stone of every kind. And then they saw it up ahead, about halfway up the mountain. A break in the trees, a large flat shelf of rock, and behind it a huge gaping hole leading directly into the mountain. Azrael and Petra headed straight for it. They landed on the flat shelf of rock, and Azrael helped Bob out of his carrier. 
Bob stretched and they could all see small scratches on his belly. Oh, Bobsy, no. What has happened to your perfect physique? Were you trying to climb a blackberry bush? Ah, yes. I mean, no, I don't climb those. I simply bend the stalks. But no, I believe those scratches may have been caused by... Ah, how do I put this? Um, tiny diamonds, perhaps? Oh, Robert, forgive me. These diamond wings are not for cuddling, you know. Amethysts are naturally a much softer stone, unlike diamonds, which can cut like pretty much everything, obviously, including sweet little pony tummies. We'll work on it. Let me heal you. Okay, all better. Shh. Hmm, thank you. Much better. Much obliged. Or appreciated, rather. Hmm. Ah, uh, dragons? You have a pensive and concerned look about you. Might you tell us what's swimming about in those armored think tanks of yours, perhaps? Yeah, responded Asriel. Something's wrong here. That road that we saw? It was made by humans, and it leads right here to the entrance of his lair. Look. They followed Asriel's gaze. Sure enough, at the furthest edge of the rock shelf where the trees began, there was an opening, a cut through the foliage where the road connected to the mouth of Shakatala's lair. No way any dragon would let humans so close. Let's look inside, said Petra. They all looked into the dark, foreboding mouth of Shakatala's lair. They looked at each other. Then Petra began walking towards it. Oh, this may be a good time to warn you. I do not react well to jump scares. If something pops out at me... I might send us all to another dimension, accidentally. Uh, I don't think there's anything in there, said Asriel a little anxiously. That's not helping, responded Amethyst. Next thing you know, we'll all be inside, and as soon as we're all, like, so sure that nothing is inside with us, that thing that was inside all along will, like, pop out, and random magic will just come out of me. I'll be fine, of course, but... I make no promises about the rest of you. Um, maybe you should wait outside then, suggested Petra. No, there are crystals in there. I can feel them. They all walked slowly inside the cave. As their eyes adjusted to the extreme darkness, they noticed what looked like sprawling human campsites all along the cavern walls. Bedrolls, tools, carts, wheelbarrows, sacks of grain spilled over, and several fire pits were scattered all around. "'What in the stars?' exclaimed Petra. Asriel looked closer at one of the bedrolls on the ground. "'There's dust all over this, over all of this. "'No one's been here for a while.' Asriel walked further into the cave. "'Hello!' The sound of his voice echoed deep within. "'The tunnels must be long and vast. "'Hello!' he called again. "'Nothing.' They all started walking slowly deeper into the darkness. Amethyst fluttered to the floor in front of the group, and a bright glow began to emanate from their body, casting the walls and tunnel in an eerie purple light. "'Should we keep going?' asked Azrael. "'I vote yes,' replied Amethyst. "'I mean, that's what we're here for, right? To round up information, gather the clues, get some answers. Besides, I can feel those stones up ahead.' Ah, they're calling to me. Yes. Oh, it's been too long. I am coming, my darlings. I am coming to sing with you. Greetings, said a small voice directly in front of Amethyst. Ah! Screamed Amethyst, and there was a sudden burst of light, a pop in the air, and a loud squeak. Then everything was quiet. After a few moments, another voice spoke from the darkness. Charles? 
the new voice asked cautiously. Okay, did I call that or did I call that? Seriously, who is that? Who's there? What did you do to Charles? Said the voice. Asriel, Petra, Bob, and Amethyst were looking frantically around the cave, but there was no one in sight. Asriel called out, Who? Who are you? We can't see you. Um, I don't know if I should come out, because I don't know what you did to Charles. Listen, whoever you are, just come out or we'll blow fire all around this cave to light it up so we can see clearly, and I don't think you want us to find you that way, yelled Petra. Uh, yeah, okay, responded the voice. There was a brief skittering sound, and near the wall, behind a stone on the floor, emerged a very small creature. Well, I'll be. It is, as they say, a mouse, observed Bob. The mouse wound its way to the group and stopped in front of them, sniffing the air all around. Ah, jeez. Charles? Are you okay? I don't smell him. What'd y'all do to Charles? Amethyst took a deep breath. Listen, rat. Rodent? Mouse? I am sorry, but I am also not sorry. Your foolish friend, Charles, I take it, surprised me, and I defended myself. I am not to blame, but he is gone now. I am sorry for your loss. What? What? What do you mean, gone? Did you did you kill Charles? Oh no," said Azrael. "Amethyst, did you kill Charles?" Ah, uh, hmm. Yes. Have we established at this juncture who Charles is? Did I miss something? I think it's whoever said greetings before Amethyst obliterated them. No, I did not obliterate anyone. I did not kill your precious Charles," responded Amethyst. "I just said Charles is gone." He is gone now, and you'll have to do without your Charles. But where did he go? asked the mouse. I don't know, replied Amethyst testily. I was surprised, and I sent him away. He went somewhere else. Not my fault. Ugh, fine. I will find him. This Charles better be worth it. And with that, there was another flash of light, a popping sound, and Amethyst was gone. Will Charles be okay? Why do kids bully other kids? Why does my friend lie to me? What do you do if your friends say you're bossy? How can I make a best friend? Friendships can be complicated. I'm psychologist and author Dr. Eileen Kennedy-Moore, host of the Kids Ask Dr. Friendtastic podcast. Each weekly five-minute episode features a question from a kid about friendship, plus a practical and thought-provoking answer. Tune in to learn how you can build strong and caring friendships. Kids Ask Dr. Friendtastic is available wherever you get podcasts. Asriel stepped closer to the little mouse. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think Charles will be fine. Just give him some time. What's your name? The mouse looked at the dragons and Bob suspiciously before answering. I'm Ned, but my friends call me Bitey. So don't try anything or I will bite you. Okay, we won't try anything. <laughs> Listen, Ned, Bitey, we were wondering what happened here. Do you think you could tell us? Are you here to take care of the mountain? Oh, please say yes. We're in desperate need of a dragon here. It's just been awful these days. We haven't seen our dragon and well forever it seems like so i'm sure you could have it we will be so grateful so you know shakatala 
know him? He used to let me and my friends crawl all up and down him, finding little things to eat and playing with his scales and his claws and his teeth. Oh, jeez, he was the best. He used to hide things for us and see if we could sniff him out. That old dragon before him clamoring, he didn't pay much attention to us little things, but Shakatala, he made himself feel right at home. Really? Asked Petra. He was, he played with you with mice? Sure did. Oh, those were the days. So what happened? Urged Azriel. Oh boy, oh boy, where do I start? I don't even know it all happened so fast, you know? One day everything was just nuts and berries, good as can be, and the next, poof! Humans are tearing through here, taking stuff. Shakatal is all stomping mad that he's gone. Humans are back, and you know, they were not being respectful, so we went and got rid of them. But now what? Whoa, 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 slow down. Can you... Can you start at the beginning and tell us what happened here? Ah, gee, I'm really not your guy. Charles is a storyteller, you know? I mostly just bite things. But, um, sure. Yeah, I can try. You you, you being dragons and whatnot. Thanks. We really appreciate it. Uh, okay. Hmm. Well, I got a big family, so I didn't see all these things myself, you understand. But we mice, well, we see it all, if you know what I mean. Okay, so, right. Everything was just fine. And then, well, one day, old Shock Top goes out for a few days. You know, he does that sometimes, no big deal. But this time, I'm sniffing through some bear droppings, looking for undigested berries. They're the best. And Bernice, that's my sister, she comes hollering about some humans. We're all like, that's crazy, Bernice. No one's even seen a human, let alone Bernice. And we're all like, how do you know? But she says that Grandma Perkins saw him, and she's seen humans before. Wow, does she have some stories? And she says they're definitely humans. Now... We're all super pumped, you know? I mean, who doesn't want to see a human? I mean, we've heard the stories. They just shed delicious things to eat wherever they go. They're like these mobile mouse snack machines. I'm I'm sorry, that is not the point. So we all rush over to Bernice. And holy crows, there's a whole lot of them. They're hiking through the woods, going right up to old Shockey's cave. And we're like, "Uh uh-oh, might need to put the littles to bed early tonight if you catch my drift. Because, you know, if Shakatala comes home, he'll eat them. And that's not good for little mice to see. I don't mind, though. I was kind of hoping for some excitement. Anyway, they bust right in with some fire sticks, and they head right for the heap. And when I say the heap, I'm talking shiny things, right? Every color. Rocks, metals. Super fun place. It's nothing to eat, though. This heap's been there for ages, collected by dragons for years. They love it. They just like to sit on it, look at it, smell it. It's kind of weird, if you ask me. But I did have a rock collection once, so maybe it's like that. Anywho, they started grabbing and bagging things from the heap, all don't mind if I do, until they can't hardly walk no more and then they bug out of there. Okay, so they stole from Shakatala's treasure, asked Petra. Yep, 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 said Ned. That is what they did, all right. And we were all like, oh boy, this will not be good. Wait till old Shack Attack gets back and things are going to get fiery, you know? Because he's a dragon. Anyway, I was off getting my head unstuck from a pine cone I ate my way half through when Felix, one of my brothers, comes hollering at me that Shacky's back. We all got to see this. So we all skittered to our way over to the cave to watch the fireworks. And he did not disappoint. I mean, there was fire. You know, he knows exactly what he's got in that heap. We like to hide things from him sometimes just to see if he notices. Oh, he does. He laughs when we do it, but it's kind of kind of scary laugh. Like he knows you're just fooling around, but he really wants to kill you dead anyway sorry so he goes pretty wild he's tearing out of the cave and you wouldn't believe it there's an old human woman there an old woman standing there at the front of the cave how she hiked up here all on her own to be standing there right at that moment you got me but there she is old shocksters 
He stops, asks what she's doing there, what she wants, and get this. I couldn't hear from where I was, but Alice, my sister, she's up close, and this is what she says. The old woman says it's a trap. The humans are trying to trick Shakatala into coming after them. They're waiting for him. They've got all kinds of dragon weapons ready. They're going to try and destroy him so they can come back and get the rest of the heap. Well, now our old fire breather's super angry, but he's not afraid of the humans, you see. But then this old woman, she tells him about how he could beat the humans for sure. They wouldn't stand a chance, and he couldn't be hurt by anything they do to him. She tells him all about this fairy in the woods. This fairy can give him something, something that'll make him the most powerful dragon that's ever lived. Then he can do whatever he wants. Shakatala, he's he's all like, why would you want to help me? She says that this king guy who wants the treasure, it was his fault that her husband died. So she wants revenge or something? Well, good enough for Shaki. So he flies off to find this fairy. That old woman, though? She doesn't seem so old anymore. Suddenly, she's just dancing down this big old mountain like a teenage goat. But what do I know? Maybe old humans are just as nimble as the young ones. Anyway, it seemed a bit strange. And he left. We haven't seen our dragon since. Is that it? Is that everything? Ho, 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 no, sir. Those humans came back all right. A whole lot of them. They brought tools and wagons, all sorts of stuff. They took the whole heap. Then they started digging through the mountains for more. Well, we didn't like that. They were making noise, breaking our nests, setting traps. So we decided to get rid of them. Me and Charles, all my brothers and sisters, cousins, their cousins, parents, grandparents. Yeah, we all got together and ran those humans out. I mean, there's a lot of us. I got a big family, like I said, so it wasn't too hard. You all chased the humans away? Ah, sure, why not? We had a great time. I got enough stories to keep us busy all week there. Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) That was a great story. Thanks for telling us. Azriel looked at Petra and Bob. What do you make of it all? Well, it is all very interesting, very illuminating. Hmm. And I would like to point out that the human term for a woman who has lost her husband is indeed, and in fact, a widow. Petra interjected excitedly. The widow? like the king mentioned to Talora. So she was right. The king of Tremaine, Shakatala, the Arbor Fairies, they're all connected. So this widow person gives the king of Tremaine the idea to steal the treasure. Then she turns around and pretends to be on Shakatala's side and suggests he go to the Arbor Fairies. It seems like she's behind all of this. But why? Who is she? What does she want? Before anyone could answer, there was a popping sound and another bright flash of light, followed by peals of laughter. Oh, Charles, you are a card, squealed Amethyst. Amethyst had appeared in the center of the cave, accompanied by another mouse, the much-anticipated Charles, apparently. No, my dear Amethyst, you are the card, the mouse said. I could dance with you all night and never tire. I wish only to bask in the glow of your crystalline brilliance forevermore. Charles, yelled Ned, you're okay. Oh, Ned, what a day I've had. Nay, it felt more like a lifetime. Um, where did you find him? asked Petra. Oh, Petra, what happens in the quantum interdimensional time gap stays in the quantum interdimensional time gap. Ah, Charles, Charles Pudding. I have a little mission to see about, but I will be coming back for more. All right, everyone, what did I miss? Well, replied Asriel, I think we got the information we wanted. We need to get to Durga to tell Talora, and we really need to find this widow character. It seems like whoever she is, she's behind all of this.
Hello again. If you'd like to know what happens next, please join us for the season three finale, episode 10, The Wolf. If you have any questions, comments, or artwork you'd like to share, please email PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. Petra handles all of our communication for us, and she recently put together a really stunning communication manager outfit. It's got like a vest and a hat and like shoes. I don't even know how dragons would wear shoes, but if anyone can pull it off, it's Petra. If you're enjoying Fad Pack, there are a few simple and fun ways to support the show. If you can leave a rating or a review on the device that you're listening from, go for it. We would love that. This is a great way to help others find the show, and it really means so much to us. Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is a proud member of Kids Listen, a grassroots organization of advocates for high-quality audio content for kids. You can find more great podcasts at kidslisten.org or download the app. Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is made and recorded by Dirt Road Theatre in Northfield, Vermont. Fad Pack is written and performed by me, Marin Langdon Spillane, and written and created by Dominic Gracelin and Oliver Spillane. The music you heard was composed by the amazing Nathan Lee. You can see more of his work at nathanlee.net. Thank you for listening. <laughs>